What up, y'all? Welcome back to another issue of the Blacktop Podcast. We're on episode 10, finally in the double digits. Unfortunately, though, as you can tell, uh, we're two men gaming it today. So while Christian's been away the past couple weeks, uh, we're down a man in Ruben today. And it kind of sucks because I was excited for Ruben to, you know, pump his chest about the Toronto Raptors. But regardless, Christian, how you been, Kazo? I've been good, yo. Busy with school. But I'm done that now. Been busy with life. Not done that yet. But uh, yeah, I'm doing better. Nice. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I finished school. Well, I'm still I'm doing summer, but you know, for now, it's a nice little break. But with that, it's been perfect because we're in the midst of the NBA playoffs. I mean, I can't remember the last time the first round was like this competitive. Can you think of any time? Honestly, no. Like, I think it's always like a consensus every year in the first round that like you can kind of predict things more or less, mm. and I, you can so do that this year. But I think it's the competitive edge in the playoffs, and I think that's pre- thanks to the uh, play-ins being a thing. But I think it really shows like the teams that are coming out of are like coming to play. Um, at least this part. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about those teams that uh, have been knocked out already. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, no, I think the play-in, I think not only from a competitive standpoint, or actually, I guess, yeah, from a competitive standpoint, I think it gets the juices going earlier. Because especially if you're like a team like the Pelicans who had to get it out the mud, you're more, you're kind of more already locked in than, you know, the classic eighth seed going against the first seed. David versus Goliath to the maximum like effect, and now we're seeing now. Well, granted, they're down three two right now, but I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm hoping there's a game seven for that series. Yeah, definitely. But with that, y'all know how we start every episode. We have our takes. So, Christian, do you, do you want to go first, or how you feeling? My, my my take of the day. Yeah. Um. This one is brought to you by a basketball group that we, uh, me and DJ are in with some other friends from home. My take of the day is that Michael Jordan is the GOAT. <laughs> um, you know, obviously this conversation can be rebuttaled back and forth on hours end, but to be completely honest, like, the one thing that always, like, I think gets me the most is that Ron has always been chasing accolades. Um, And if you're thinking about the greatest player of all time, I think it encapsulates a lot more than just stats. And all it means to LeBron is stat. It kind of washes away him just being the player that really shapes a generation. Um, And to me, that be seen to me as the greatest player of all time. Whereas Michael Bulls for all, what, 13? of his career no i don't i don't know the number no well you know, he, I don't he had that short stint with uh washington yeah um but yeah regardless like he he did have that short stint in washington kind of to end off his career but um that said pretty much did it all with the chicago bulls never really chased rings by hopping onto other teams you know, with like Patrick Ewing or fucking Hakeem Olajuwon in the day, he was he was loyal to the soil, and 
it paid off and it's the greatest story of all time in basketball. Um, you're never going to look back and be like, wow, LeBron was really, was really blinded when he teamed up with prime D Wade and prime Bosch. Like, like, come on, man. Like what kind of is that compared to like two, two fuck dudes drafted onto a team and winning a championship, Ooh. like three championships. Then, in then a row. Robert wasn't drafted, but granted he also wasn't like, well, the the first the first three rings though. Oh, true. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, you know, given that they obviously had some additions to that team, but like, no one that obviously put them over the top, like a like team guard, like I like fucking sorry, Dwayne Wade. You know, like, but yeah, the second or the second three P, even Dennis Rodman, like. We're not really let's let's not put Dennis Rodman on the same you know pedestal as players like Kyrie Irving and like whoever else that LeBron has really teamed up with Anthony Davis like those are first first team players like Dennis Rodman is a great player by all means but he is not like you know he's not everything that you're, you know, you're never you're never gonna Anthony go Davis to him. Is. yeah if you need a bucket I'll yeah yeah. But yeah, that's my take of the day because I'm heated. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> these are all guys that we went to high school with, the group chat that Christian's talking about, and they literally, they have it out for Michael Jordan, man. The stupidest, like, reasons, the fact that he can't shoot the three, which, what the fuck, neither can LeBron, really. But I think it's insane because, I mean... My take kind of goes into that as well. Not necessarily like who's the GOAT, but I will say Michael Jordan is hands down the greatest player to ever pick up a basketball. I mean, when you compare it to guys like, you know, LeBron's cool and all. If we were to really go by accolades, obviously Bill Russell would be the GOAT, but granted, that's kind of similar to like the Bob Cousy thing. But no, I just think when you come down to it all in regards to who's been able to really get it out the mud and really grind and get that full championship experience from beginning to end. It's Michael Jordan. He's the face of that. You know, even Kobe. Kobe's cool and all. I love Kobe, God rest his soul, but without the acquisition of a guy like Shaquille O'Neal, none of that shit happens. So when it comes to uh, getting out the mud, I think Michael Jordan's the poster boy of that. Now, for me, yeah. 100%. 100%. For me, my take is this. I think the Brooklyn Nets have killed the idea of a super team. And in my opinion, as you know, as loaded as the roster seems, I think it's going to be more of the same next season. You know, obviously, if you've been living under a rock, they just got swept by uh, the heir apparent, in my opinion, of like basketball greatness, Jason Tatum. And this is a team that wasn't even fully healthy. Granted, Robert Williams came back, but as we've seen, he's still not 100%. And with that, when you just look at the talent Brooklyn boasts, granted, when you're missing a guy that's making like 20 plus million, there's obviously going to be a big hole there. But even then, I don't think Jason, or not Jason Taylor, I don't think Ben Simmons would have changed much, especially considering that he hasn't played the entire year. Granted, with next year, I think if they're healthy though, because as much shit as Brooklyn's getting, I think we failed to always remember that they were at the top of the conference when they were fully healthy and not even like that when it was like still no Kyrie. So I'm excited to see what a full year of them together looks like. But 
you know, when we think about all the past championship teams, like especially in recent years, a lot of it has been, you know, homegrown and you pick up a few pieces there. You know, the Bucks obviously, majority of those players are homegrown, obviously with the two faces, with Giannis and Chris Middleton, and then you get a guy like Drew Holiday. Uh, the Warriors for the first, for like, how many they have? Five rings? But anyways, for the first few runs, pretty much entirely homegrown outside of like, say, Igudala, who's not even, you know, one of your primary options unless it's to stop with somebody. But just the idea of let's get all the most expensive guys together and put them on a team and let them go to work, I don't think that really works. Because, I mean, when you look at it, outside of, you know, maybe four guys and KD, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, and Seth Curry, that team's looking very bare-bones. I mean, I don't think... A guy like Andre Drummond, I'm not saying he's good or as as good as before, but a guy of his caliber, I don't think should be working under a minimum contract if they wants to. I mean, all 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 the power to him. But I will say, we'll talk about it later. But I don't think it's all all just shit and more shit. I just think that this has showcased that. The idea of just getting together the most talented top like roster and not let the rest of your roster be filled out. Uh, it's not a recipe to win. Yeah. Agree a hundred percent. Like no arguments really. And I think it even goes deeper to say that like you really can't a team in a year and expect to really do a lot, you know? Like it's obviously shown that with its persistence. And believing in like Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, really every guy on that team, you know, maybe I'll minus that, but come on, let's not like say Al Horford is really he, he has been a game changer, but he's he's an old guy. Like, really have been developing the same core for the last four or five years and it's paid off. Um and they just beat like really one of the best super teams that's been formed in, you know, decades in the history of the NBA. Uh, and it just goes to show that you really have to actually like recognize that basketball is a team sport, front office to the coaches, to the management, to the players. And when you just try to put together like every player and their stats put together, it's not going to necessarily work out to be a good team. Yeah, I mean, you can look at the Lakers in the same, the same conversation, right? No doubt. That's crazy. Those were the two that were slated. Everybody was saying, let's just skip to the finals. And uh, none of them motherfuckers, they're all in Cancun now. But, all right. So, those were our takes. Uh, some of them were very emotionally charged by uh, stupid comments from other people. But, we digress. So, uh, instead of just having these next few episodes all be the same, of like, updates on the series and updates on playoff rounds... Uh, we're just going to come up with some questions that I have here. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of it's Not a lot of it. All of it's going to be catered towards, you know, what's been happening in the NBA recently. Or there'd be uh, the playoffs. Uh, the awards finally getting done. Uh, everything's up for grabs here. Except maybe, like, the draft. Because, you know, who gives a fuck about that right now? But, okay. Question one. Kind of sure. an extension of my take. What's next for Brooklyn? Man, that's a question, honestly. Because, like, after we talk to them, I, I still feel that, like, I don't 
I obviously there's positives. They have a great fundamental cold off of. I just don't know what it's going to take for them to actually become a championship caliber team if it's not in the they currently have, you know? Like, another move isn't necessarily going to be what it takes for them to push them over the hump. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, me, I think it's like getting Benz's playing 82 games next year. I think first thing. Like, not 82 games, but, you know, at least just the majority of the season to actually, like, develop the team. Not to make any, like, postseason moves, really, and believe in the roster a little bit. Build up that team chemistry. Because, you know, like, really their team makeup is, like, pretty much set championship run in a in a perfect world. They just don't have that team chemistry that, like, a lot of the teams that have been playing together all year do have. Like, you know, minus the, like, for example, like, the KP move on the Mavs, like, they've kind of still developed with Jason, Luka Doncic, and, uh, I mean, Dwight Powell has obviously been getting more time than Dorian Finney-Smith, and you look at a team like that, and obviously that roster pickup doesn't sound better than the Nets on paper, but because they have been working together for a whole season, it's obviously correlated to them looking like they're going to close out this series against Utah. But, like, that's just an example, you know, like a team that's actually working together and calibrating together that obviously translates to winning basketball. Whereas this this Nets roster has, like, been playing only, probably played, like, what, like 20, like 20, 30 games together? Yeah, like not even half a season. Yeah. So they play games together. I think that's what my answer is. How, what do you think, DJ? Uh for me, yeah, I think a lot of the same sentiments. I think the main thing to take away, though, is that as much as on paper it looks bad that they got swept, if you look at it, all these games were very close. I don't think any of them were, like, more than 10 points. I mean, game one, that's off a game-winning basket. You know, not all of those are guaranteed. Granted, it was a great play. Uh, game two, obviously, was a bit of a stinker, but they were still in it for most of the games. And I think with that... This team is definitely, it's poised for for a deep run, for sure. And I think a lot of the criticism is fired at Steve Nash, which I don't think is warranted based on the fact that, you know, he was playing with some shit cards. You know, not having Kyrie for half the season, for even more than half the season, KD being out for six months, Ben Simmons never playing a game, having to go through that drama with James Harden. A lot of, like... The net season is just based off of just bad timing and all that. And with that, though, I think a big bright spot is the rookies they have. Because, I mean, you got Cam Thomas, who's shaping to be like a creative bucket, a guy who can take you off the bounce and, you know, score at multiple levels. Kessler Edwards proving to be, you know, a solid wing. Not necessarily a guy you're going to start, but obviously basketball is not about 1 through 5. It's about 1 through 15. Well, when you come to the playoffs, maybe 1 through 9 or 10. But... Regardless, he's a guy that I think has shown a lot of flashes. Daron Sharp is another solid rookie, I think. You know, with the continued develop of him, uh, I see big things. Nicholas Claxton, he's a guy that I think has really taken a big jump. He's shown that he has the ability to defend multiple positions. Uh, needs to work on the free throws. But overall, this is a team that, you know, I think all things considered, this season isn't necessarily like a big stinker. Obviously, you have bigger ambitions than 
going on in the first round, but it's kind of like the fact that they were even in this position is amazing in a sense. So I just think that once they get to like that year of cohesion and just this added motivation of people already writing them off, I think it might be a little scary for the block for like in Brooklyn next year. It's going to be going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, I agree. And I guess the last thing, like, I think it's just a matter of seeing it through and like actually making it happen. Cause I think the one case in the NBA that you can kind of look at similarly, but not exactly like is kind of the whole, but if situation happening with the Clippers, like why is not healthy and then PG's not healthy. It's almost like frantic and scary that you'll you see like a full Brooklyn like roster like ready to like play a whole season. Um I think it's like the same thing with the Clippers and yeah. It almost feels like it's just like what right now. So yeah, yeah. no doubt. All right, next question. Uh, so, if you aren't aware already, for the most improved award this year, uh, it was given to John Moran. Now, first of all, uh, if you've listened to any of our past episodes, we're, we're kind of on the fence about it. Now, obviously, if we were to go by, like, the letter of the law, he's definitely up there. But uh, I know for me personally, though, I think most improves not necessarily a guy who was already really great because John Morant averaged pretty much 20 points last year. I think it's about a guy who's, you know, shown flashes, but has really taken that next step. So this is a two-parter. First of all, Christian, do you think there are any big major snubs for most improved? And the second is, uh, what's up with the awards? You know, defensive player of the year used to be such a such an amazing statue of like I don't even know who it is, but it's just a guy down in his stance. Now it's just a ball. It's the same thing with like all these other awards. So yeah, Christian, first of all, do you think there are any snubs and uh you know do you like these new balls awards? Um I mean I think the obvious ones are definitely for me at least Dante Murray and uh and Jordan Poole. I think both of those players kind of pretty much encapsulate what it means to be the most improved player. Um, you also kind of see it in how their teams have improved. Obviously, with the Spurs, they're like a developing team, but you've seen like a lot of how DeJounte Murray has like kind of the Spurs to newer heights, even with being such a team. Like he's really put the team on his back and he's such a positive on the floor. Um, and same with Jordan Poole, where he like kind of went from being like kind of this player that's known to be on the bench when Curry's playing to, you know, basically starting over Curry in the playoffs right now just because of injury and, like, being trusted on that level. Like, he he on another team, like, if he were to hypothetically be traded tomorrow, could be the superstar of another team. Like, that's how good he's gotten, you know? Um, and I, I, it's, it's pretty ridiculous how, like, someone who is, like, can be a contender for an MVP, one of the most improved player award. But, uh, yeah. Also, yeah, the awards, kind of how they're doing it. It's cool, like, how they're kind of making it more personalized. Like, I know in the past, like, they've kind of just done, like, different things for every award, how they're kind of, like, making it sentimental for every, like, award. But I don't know why they're not giving trophies. Like, the ball thing is just kind of, like, it's so simple, but it's not that cool. I don't know. <laughs> I think defensive player of the year is the one so far. I'm like, yeah, that's that should be the 
three-point stance, man. But yeah. uh, in regards to snubs, in my opinion, I think, yeah, I think if there's two major ones. It's definitely DeJounte Murray and uh, Jordan Poole. I would also throw a guy like maybe Miles Bridges in there where he, he's somebody who's kind of breaking out of that mold of just being just the lob threat nothing else, shoot the occasional three. Uh, he showcased improved handling of the ball, the ability to be, you know, a secondary option to LaMelo Ball. And that's on top of the fact that he's already such a crazy lob threat, such a crazy player when it comes to taking you off the bounce into the rack. Uh, and yeah, I think, I will say, if the Cavaliers are fully healthy and they're on the trajectory that they were on when they were fully healthy, I think Darius Garland wins the award. Just because, like, you know... As amazing as Jaw is, when you when you come from twenty points to just twenty seven, it's kind of like you've shown the flashes, you've shown the ability to be like an MVP level player. So you know, yeah, you're improving, but it's also like it's more you fulfilling your potential that everybody is kind of you know labeled you with. But yeah, I think I hope I will say I hope it's not like that for. Uh, or what's it called for MVP? I hope MVP is still whoever the hell it is, you know, in there, like they're going up for a lay. So, uh, next question. This was just like a little buffer zone between this next one. Are Boston the title favorites after their play in the first round, you think? Um, you know, this is pretty biased for a guy like me. <laughs> um, I honestly think they are. I think, like, with the momentum they're going off of, it almost is very, like, reminiscent of, like... Like, if you look at Jason Tatum, very reminiscent of kind of the passing of the torch where every player has kind of gone through those first few years. Like, given, you know, maybe he needs a few more years before he's championship ready. Who knows? Like, this is the first round. But I feel like gone through the years of kind of suffering, he's been close, but not exactly it. I think this is this could be the year that, like, especially with how every single player is playing in Boston, I do think this could be the year where they're, like, the genuine favorites to win. And uh, they just have such a well-constructed team. It's such a good time for Robert Williams to be back. Um, Marcus Smart is obviously on a defensive player of the year, like, high. Um, Jalen Brown is playing, like, exceptionally ex- well, too. He's also... Fe- like fasting Ramadan. Um, so I don't know, man. Like, I don't think any team has really shown the kind of strength that they have so far, besides the Warriors. But, you know, that's my other take. Now, obviously, I disagree. Now, uh, I will say, next, next round is going to be very interesting. Uh, the way they're playing is very... I think it's very reminiscent of the Bucks in the beginning of their playoff round where they were absolutely, like, I don't even necessarily want to use the word killing, but, you know, they swept them, so they killed them in a sense. And, yeah, I think just the way that roster's connected, considering, I think that and the kind of the storyline is so well in their favor, low-key. It sounds really nice, you know, a team that everybody was saying they need to break up their two best players and they have this... You know, presumed or assumedly like ugly players only meeting where they call out their top guys, tell them they need to pass the rock more 
You look at Jason Tatum, he's averaging seven assists in the first round. Crazy shit. And, yeah, I think definitely the passing of the guard, I think, is a crazy thing to look at right now because you think about it like this, they're a team that's not only heading into the second round with the, the high of sweeping in the first round, but they're on the high of sweeping arguably the greatest offensive player the NBA has ever seen in Kevin Durant. Two of them, in fact, with Kyrie Irving as well. And just that and just Jason Tatum's man. Jason Tatum's that dude. And with getting Robert Williams back. And I think Al Horford was a big X factor for uh, that first round. He had a 20-13 and 13 game in round one, in game one. And that's a dude that I think a lot of people forget. Five-time All-Star, All-Defensives, All-NBA teams. Al Horford is still that dude, regardless of the age. He has the ability to uh, really help bolster that big rotation that already is like super solid when you include a guy like Daniel Tice. They're a team that definitely has championship depth, but uh, next round will be a test if they have that championship medal. And I will say, it's definitely not going to be a short series. I'm, I'm anticipating, and I'm hoping, and I'm ready for a war between them and Milwaukee. That's going to be a good yeah, series. I was going to ask because I don't think we have, have it written down in our questions here. But, I mean, quick little side question for you, DJ. How do you feel about, you know, that series met up for your Bucks against the Celtics? Well, the series, the season series was tied 2-2. And I will say the games that they lost, I think, were games where the team wasn't fully there. And I think the only game, I don't remember the first game, but I remember Christmas Day. I'm pretty sure both teams were healthy and the Bucks were able to pull that out late game. Now, obviously, I'm not saying it's going to go exactly like that because these are, at this point in time, basically two distinct, different league teams. They're teams that have gone through the fires and uh, ready to see if they can come out the waters with the chip. And I'm not going to lie. I don't want to say that I'm concerned because I'm really not. But I will say the Chris Middleton thing is, you know, it's in the back of my mind. But I think also considering uh, a guy like Robert Williams came back from a tear, whereas he just has a sprain, you know, in the timelines they did. I think Chris Middleton will be back in this second round. And I think we will see more Middleton magic. Not only that, but I mean, you look at the way Giannis is playing. He's playing like a guy that's like, been there and done everything and he's playing like a guy that wants to win and I think it's the perfect matchup for the second round this is like in my opinion we're probably getting what honestly could or should be the conference finals next round and I mean you look at uh Milwaukee's second round last year they went to war with uh Brooklyn so yeah I think all things settled as a Bucks fan, slightly concerned. I, I'd be dumb to say I'm not, just with uh, not having your second best player right now. I think he will definitely come back in this next round. But when uh, when you have a team with Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's one of the most dominant players since Shaquille O'Neal, in my opinion, more in a sense, uh, it's hard to pick against him. But yeah, I'm anticipating seven games for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, that's pretty... Pretty calm from a proud Bucks fan. I, I must admit that was well composed, and I, I agree. I think it's a seven-game series for sure. Ahead, like I wouldn't see it any other. It just they're just clashing teams, you know. One team can't guard the other, but the other team can't guard that other player. Like 
no one's guarding Giannis, but no one's guarding Tatum, you know? Like yeah, I, that's they, like they might guard each concern. other. Yeah. I think I'm curious who's going to be the primary on either. But yeah. yeah so, shoot. yeah. All right. Okay. Next question. I'll go this one. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> considering we're, we're all just locking in the fact that Chicago's going to lose next game, which, in my opinion, there's no reason why uh, they should win next game. I'm probably watching. I'm going to eat that now. Knock on wood. Uh, is Chicago going to create any smoke next year? You know, this is a team that early on in the season, everybody had their chest pumped up about Chicago. Uh, I really wish that, actually not really wish. I mean, considering that we have family in Chicago, obviously, uh, you know, it would have been cool to see how like the city was there. But no, uh, all things considered, this is a team that I think has experienced one of the biggest falls from grace like during the season. You know, top of the East, one of the best teams to uh, a team that looks like a shell of themselves. I mean, outside of game two, which in my opinion, not to say the whole reason they lost was because Middleton went down, but Chris Middleton was fucking cooking in that third quarter. And he looked, he was about to like take over. And then obviously what happened, happened. But even then, uh, what happened in game three, I think a lot of people expected Milwaukee to just be you know, an injured animal, you know, a buck with a, with who's already been shot in the leg and it's just time to, like, you know, mercy kill at that point. But it's, in fact, been the opposite. I mean, an average margin of, I think it was, what, 30 and 20 in these past two games. I think that as great as Chicago is on paper, there just hasn't been that uh, that kickback, that, that heart that shows that they're willing to, like, necessarily die you know i think that guys like bobby portis obviously exemplify that guys like Giannis exemplify that where i mean just last year his fucking knee went backwards and he was ready for the finals and i just think that you know with chicago uh, on top of the zach levine going into protocols recently uh it's definitely gonna be it's definitely gonna be a off season i don't necessarily think they make any moves but I will. I would love to see what their team looks like fully healthy and similar in the Nets to where, you know, not having a guy like Lonzo Ball for a good chunk of the season I think really hurts cohesion. And hopefully, you know, everything's okay there. But yeah, I think the team just really needs. Uh, they need some wings, man. You know, as great as Patrick Williams is, uh, he's a few years away from uh, his supposed potential of being the next Kawhi. Uh, if there's one guy I'm looking to trade, though, I would say it's Kobe White. I think Ayo Desumu has showcased his ability to not only be, you know, a solid guard in your rotation, but a guy who can, like, facilitate. I think he had, what, a 15-assist game. Uh, not only that, I think he's one of, you know, he. there's shades of uh, Drew Holiday, I will say. And I don't take that lightly because, in my opinion, Drew Holiday's the best perimeter guard since Gary Payton. And Ayo Desumu is a guy that, should definitely be an all-rookie team, and I think we'll definitely make all-defensive teams later on. And yeah, I think they definitely have the ability to have a nasty backcourt defensive duo. I think it's just a matter of Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan kind of, you know, shoring up and, you know, putting this team on their back as much as DeMar supposedly did that this year. I think, regardless, I think it's a lot with the Jazz where... They could go 82-0 if they're not going to do shit in the playoffs. That doesn't really matter. But 
yeah, I I want them to create smoke, but in all honesty, I don't see them creating much smoke. I think it's you know maybe a little bit better than this year, but yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's tough because like I think they have to sort out their timeline. Um, kind of how you mentioned Ray, like Patrick Williams is definitely a few years away from really, I think, encapsulating his full potential. But then you have guys like Demar Derozan that so the young guns in the league anymore and have really time to waste uh, if they are going to chase that chip. Um, but obviously he's the star player on that team right now. So it's a matter of like really just, I think, dumping out the rest of the assets and like trying to find that four that can, you know, magically cover the spots that can guard Giannis, guard the Embiid's of the world, um, and really fill the shoes that basically Vucevic doesn't. Because um, I think that's really just what they're missing. Um they're they're going to continue to get dominated by every team in the East because pretty much every team in the East has a four or five that they can guard, you know, um, or at least the top teams in the East. Um, yeah, no, I think that's like what it takes. Like the big man is such an important role in the like game today. Um, like, I mean, we've this might be like for all you know. I haven't been on the last ten of, the last two. Episodes. Those, but this could be the tenth time we mentioned Miles Bridges. For all we know, but he could be the guy. You know, for example, that could really at least start to fill that defensive role, face the floor a bit better, um, and just kind of like elevate them. But that's like kind of just hypothetical, obviously. At point, I just think, yeah, you're probably right. They do need to dump. I would assume we'll can definitely play that beat. Um, Patrick Williams couldn't be that dude, but not right now. And I could see them dumping him off too. But this is uh, those are hypotheticals. I don't think that's going to happen. The reason I kind of agree that they're not going to create smoke next year, or they're kind of be the same thing that they were this year. Um, but it is unfortunate because I want to see Demar Derozan win a ring. But uh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, alrighty, this one's for you, Ruben. What happens if the Sixers lose this series? Now, if you've been living under a rock, the Philadelphia 76ers took a commanding, if not damning, 3-0 lead. If you've been living under an even deeper rock, uh, no team has ever completed a 3-0 comeback. Obviously, there's been a few that forced Game 7s, but no team that's ever been down that bad has been ever been able to really get over the hump. And uh, the, the way the Raptors are playing, I'm not saying they're going to do it, but uh, I'll say this. In order to be uh, somewhat of a neutral, not really, but whenever you're playing down against a Doc Rivers coach team, there's always a chance. If, you've, if you guys have never seen it, I think one of my favorite mic'd up moments is Phil Jackson in the huddle against the Celtics. And he just flat out says, these guys know how to lose games. They, like, give up the most points in the fourth quarter. They lose, lose the most games when it comes to the clutch. And uh, the way the Sixers are performing, uh, a lot of that, I think, is holding true. But uh, in regards to what happens, I think, first of all, Doc Rivers gets fired. Second of all, I think everybody's just going to come for James Harden's head. You know, this is a guy that was supposed to come in and 
really not say be a culture changer but be a culture improver you know this is a dude that's frankly the best shooting guard since Dwayne Wade and Kobe Bryant and we've seen his ability to transition into that PG role and not only that you see the emergence of a guy like Tyrese Maxey who once they gave him his starting spot is never given a reason to really let it go uh, that considered the fact that uh, Philadelphia was playing a man down for a majority of the season. Now they finally got a full squad. It's It's been great to see. Tobias Harris has been balling, but Nick Nurse, I think, is by far the best coach in the NBA right now. I don't think there's any coach that could really... Not to say that Toronto's personnel is bad, but just the way that they play and the way Nick Nurse has been able to game plan, it's been crazy to see. I think not only that, I've been very happy to see Gary Trent Jr. balling out. He's one of my favorite up-and-coming players. OG Ananobi is finally showcasing the fact that he's a top dog. Pascal Siakam's playing like an all-NBA player. And shoot, yeah, I think, first of all, it'd be one of the craziest things to happen in the NBA, like, history. And uh, it would be one of the biggest memes of all time. Yeah, I mean... Question is, what happens if the Sixers lose the series? I think, oh god, I don't even know what happens. Like, I think it just further solidifies like a lot of things, you know, like that. What times Harden is in that dude? Because respectfully, you know, I know a lot of people will disagree. I just don't think he's really ever been that dude. I mean, he obviously has nothing to show for it besides his. It's like sure he's that. Dude, like in terms of like individual accolades, but when you really look at him, he's never really done anything for a team positively um, to the point where he's gone to. He he hasn't. No, he's gone to the finals one. That was yeah, the, the one a, year oh, with the Thunder. That that doesn't count. <laughs> that whoever is listening to this, stop. You cannot argue with that. Come on, he was coming off the bench. He didn't even have a beard yet. Like, or if it was he, it was a mini beard. That's that, that's that's fucking stupid. Anyways, no, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't think he's really ever been that dude. He's obviously a talented player, but he's really like, in my mind, he just kind of falls into the same category as Russ, where it's like, you know, he's a great player, but he's never going to amount to anything because he doesn't make players around him better. He he's definitely been doing something for Philadelphia lie but he he's not doing i think what they've expected of him really they traded away like a lot of their future just to get this one motherfucker on their team and they're they're losing to uh to really like a a young raptors team like to give up two games to a young raptors team like on paper like this should have been a sweep of a series too in my opinion but uh it's not because i don't know there, there's a lot of question marks. I think Doc Rivers gets fired too. That would, that's an obvious one. This dude's this dude. I don't even know why why he has a job in the NBA, frankly. But yeah. Um, next question. Yeah, I think to add, I think unless the Sixers win a championship this year, Doc Rivers should get canned. Yeah, like how does Mark Jackson not have a job, but oh, this dude does? Man, died? he's in the running for the Sacramento job. I heard, which I would like to see because. We've seen That'd his ability dope. to turn young PGs into gods. Yes, sir. But that's a question for to handle for another time. All right, so 
while that was a series that is still ongoing, let's talk about one that concluded tonight as uh, the Atlanta Hawks, a team that's been banged up, uh, fell short. I think it was 97-94 in the last game, if I'm, not, if I, if, if I'm wrong. Uh, do the Atlanta Hawks trade away a piece, or should they continue to grow together? This is a team that features... A lot best like Clint Capella, John Collins. They're obviously anchored by one of the best young point guards in the game, Trey Young. Not only that, they got, you know, some solid pieces, some nice depth with uh, Kevin Herter, Bodan Bodanovich. Uh, DeAndre Hunter's really coming to his own, which is nice to see. And, yeah, this is a team that I think has a lot of promise, but still a few pieces short. Now it's just a matter of how they go about doing that. What do you think, Jin? In terms of what they do next season, it's kind of tough because I think they're at a point where they should kind of be showing something. But it's such a confusing team because they're literally in like the Eastern Conference Finals last, and then they were a playoff play-in team this year, um, and they obviously didn't show up in the playoffs this year enough to really overcome this Miami team. It's almost kind of questionable what they actually need. Um. I've always kind of been a big believer that they definitely need to work on young, but I don't know really know what that means when you have a team that's already trying to be built that way. Be because really their team isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily have a true second star. I don't want to say that because John Collins is a talented player, and I, I don't want to discount that. Um, but I do think maybe it is a matter of bringing in an even better player who can kind of cover some more roles. Whereas John Collins, fuck, I don't know, man. This is, this is hard to even give a take because I it's such a confusing team to look at. Um, they have a lot of depth, and I think they, they might need to sacrifice that if they're... They're not obviously going to get rid of Trey Young. I think there's definitely some of that depth that needs to be kind of taken away from that team in order to kind of... Add, board at this point uh i don't know what player in the league necessarily given that trey young is just he really is just that defensive liability um i don't think that's like everything to their they're losing but i do think it's been an obvious reason as to why and i think the way you were able to shut down trey young and pretty much like make him a useless player during the series. It's a question of like how they can actually work on that for say next year's playoff run. If you make the playoffs, right. Um, but it's a tough one. Cause I don't really know what that means for this team, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to Trey young, I think he's this generation's, uh, Allen Iverson. You know, one of the craftiest, best players at his position, one of the best players in the league. But just the way their rosters are constructed and, you know, their inability to be threats on the defensive end is really a big hindrance. Uh, I will say, though, I think, frankly, DeAndre Hunter was the best player for the Hawks this for this series. I think he had, what, 35 this for this last game? So... I do think there's a big bright spot there, and uh, not going to lie, 
Not to say that they would have won last year, because a lot of people are saying that. I think that's fucking dumb to say that they beat the Bucks with just DeAndre Hunter. But I will say it's intriguing. Uh, he showcased the ability to be, you know, another one of those premium three and D players, the Macau Bridges, the Herb Jones, and now the DeAndre Hunters. And with that, not only do I think that I first of all, I do think they should experiment with potentially offloading a lot of the depth they have. I think, you know, a guy like Kevin Herter, for example, even though they just gave him a contract last year, you know, he's cool. But I think he does a lot of the stuff that you already get from other guys. You know, if he's not really shooting his threes, what's he really doing? And obviously you get a lot of that with Trey Young. Uh, John Collins has the ability to stretch the floor. And, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich has the ability to be a creative, like, ultimate microwave when it comes to coming off the bench. I just think that... Kevin Herter is a guy that I think is a big luxury for a team that, you know, as many luxuries as they have, should look into getting, you know, some solid uh, Toyota-level players. You know, the guys that aren't the fanciest, that shoot all the threes and shit, but they're guys that just help you win championships. A guy like yeah, P.J. Tucker on I agree. would be insane. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of, like, too many chefs in the kitchen a sense right like mm. they have so many players that they could develop but that kind of prohibits them from developing guys like deandre hunter because i'm honestly pretty high on deandre hunter too um given that he's had a lot of injuries too it's hard to say that they've really held back on developing him. but i think it's just the fact that they have so many players that compete for roles like getting rid of camera is just a start you know i think they have to like kind of follow in that footsteps and trust the process a little bit more um, so that kind of they can get rid of this hiding Trey Young thing and just have players that have do the most because they're just too young of a team. I think still, I think I think they kind of belong to be an eight seed team and they they need to develop into that better team instead of trying to um, kind of hold on to every single asset. Hmm. No, I think yeah. the too many chefs in the kitchen. I think is the perfect uh, analogy. But, you know, we'll see what happens. They might uh, they might draft another guard for all we know. All right. So, speaking of uh, the unfortunate loser of that series, let's talk about the team that came out on top, the Miami Heat. So, uh, if you are not aware, the Miami Heat beat the Atlanta Hawks in, uh, what is it, game five? Yeah, game five. But they were down two of their not only best players, but two of their leaders. Kyle Lowry out with... Uh, believe it's a knee thing or that might be jimmy butler but either way they were down jimmy butler and uh kyle lowry yet they were able to snake out the win so christian how do you think the miami heat go about navigating this uh potentially tumultuous times with uh two of their best players experiencing injuries even though they're going to go up against philadelphia or toronto I think it's a matter of a few things. Like, I think what they've done best in kind of being a successful team is trusting their roster. Um, you know, giving at some moment keys to guys like Omer, your seven, and uh, and then um, like, is it Caleb Martin that's on that team? There's there's two Martin brothers. I, One of them, me, which yeah. Martin brother? <laughs> the Martin brother on their team. Like, examples like that, I think it's the matter of trusting their team. Because guys like Tyler Hero, 
Duncan Robinson all can kind of have those for that team. Um, so I think it's not a matter of like how some teams will play where, you know, when one star is out, they lean on one star heavily. Like, I don't think it's a matter of giving the ball more. I think it's a matter of playing like Miami ball. Um, Cause you're going to go up against a team like Toronto. Okay. Now I'm not going to say it's going to win that series. Who knows? But say they do go up against to right. Like that team is really built off chemistry as much as Miami is. And I think if they try to play ball with a guy like Bam, like hypothetically with Lowry and uh, out, like that's not going to be successful, especially that both Philadelphia and Toronto really are like two teams that are really heavy in the paint. I don't think that's going to work. So it is a matter of trusting their, their other players. Um, kind of everyone to just like step up. And I, I think like a guy like Tyler Harrow can step up if it is needed. So, yeah, I think it's really just about trust. I don't think there's like really much, uh, much more to it. What do you think? Yeah, I think trust is a big thing, but not only that, you touched on it earlier. The depth at the Miami Heat feature is crazy. Cause I mean, if we look at today's game, their leading scorer is a guy who's played like, probably could count on my fingers how many games he played this year but Victor Oladipo finished with 23 points three assists and three steals and shot 50 percent from both the field and the three and 100 percent from the free throw line uh Victor Oladipo is probably like the biggest luxury this year considering that he's playing on a minimum this is this is a dude who's a multiple time all-star he made all defensive and all NBA team in the same year, which I I was trying to look up how many people have done that because I don't think it's been a, a crazy amount, but he's in that club. And yeah, I think just the depth that they feature is insane. But the main person I would kind of, not necessarily challenge, but I think the one player they really need to step up is Bam Adebayo. I mean, he's averaging like 10 points this for the series. Obviously, his game's not heavily predicated on being an offensive threat, but you know, if you're this guy that's coming off an Olympic medal, playing on the greatest team in the world, playing with like some of the greatest players, which you know, KD, Jason Tatum, the list goes on and on, uh, you can't be putting up ten points per game. Now, obviously, Bam's a big part of the defensive effort, and I think he's been pretty solid on that, given that you know they held. Atlanta, probably one of the highest scoring offenses and one of the most potent offenses to less than 100 points. So they're doing their job on that end, but I just think that in order for them to be successful, Bam has to be, you know, he's shown that ability to grow from that uh, two-way player or to grow from that mainly defensive role that he's been labeled with and really blossom into a two-way player. Uh, He's a guy that I think has the ability to give you 20 and 10 on any night, but now it's just a matter of him actually doing it. So I will say, regardless of who they play next year, I think one person that really needs to let their presence be known and put their stamp on the series is uh, Bam Adebayo. For sure. Yeah, I agree. Even though my take was really seen on him, I do think he does need to step up. It's just more in the matter of, like, if he steps up, like, it shouldn't just be, you know, him getting the ball and, like, him. I mean, his, yeah, like his game isn't really being the B player on the floor has been, but I, I think the key for Miami is to really like rely on their depth. Like 
kind of mentioned Oladipo um, to not really change up that game to just stick to the plan. Yeah, their team. Yeah. Their team that's crazy depth. Omer Yurtsevin, I think, is a guy who who should, if he doesn't have a role there next year, he could definitely be a backup to on like like twenty nine out of the thirty teams, low key. But uh, oh yeah, so his stock went up this year. Oh no doubt, he's definitely gonna have he's gonna have a good job for the next few years. All right, so that's kind of the end of the questions about the specific teams. Uh, Considering that I kind of asked Ruben this out the blue, there's going to be some kind of player-specific questions. But before we get to uh, Christian's playoff MVP, uh, Christian, who do you believe has raised their player stock the most this season? There's a lot of guys that have been hooping out. There's a lot of guys that have been able to perform under the bright lights. But who, in your opinion, has really you know raised their stock? That's tough. I mean, the way I kind of look at it is looking back at my idea of most improved players, but obviously that comes, you have to kind of think of it in a sense where they, they think about player stock. It's like how much they're actually valued. And um, I think, like, in my mind, like, you're talking contracts and like what it looks like in the next few years. I think Jordan Poole really raises player stock because he's definitely deserving of that bet. Um, no matter of if he's going to get it and what's going to happen, the Golden State is another question, but he could get it somewhere for sure. Um, I also think, I mean, Scotty Barnes, obviously his player stock went all the way up this year. We obviously didn't know anything about him and what he was going to be coming into the league minus his university stats and whatever else. Like we didn't know he was going to be the rookie of the year, um, but he was really the rookie of the year and one of the most profound classes we've had in a while. Um, so it's really hard to say like how high his stock is. Um, I was kind of looking at a diagram or just like a kind of a picture of all the like past um rookies of the years and i think he's definitely up there with some of the better ones um so yeah i mean i think he's like toronto's max player in the next couple years um yeah player you could also go into the conversation of like role players that have really fulfilled more they've kind of been expected to like players like owns players like mikhail bridges marcus smart I think Marcus Smart is another guy. Man, I'm on this for a while, but Marcus Smart is the type of guy who's like gone all the way up. He's like become quite the facilitator for Boston. If you really look at the beginning of the season and where they're at now, like it is like black and white how good he has gotten at really like becoming a leader of that team. Um, like it's very, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's very like Kyle Lowry, CP3-esque, where he really like slows down the game, controls players in a way that's almost intangible. And he locks up when it matters, and he gets points when it matters, assists when it matters. But it doesn't obviously always show on paper, right? Um, so I think his stock is definitely up there with those types of players. Um, but yeah, it's in terms of the most, it's probably Jordan Poole still. I think, like, that dude could definitely get a bag. 
somewhere else. Yeah, I think all the guys you've listed are definitely in that conversation. Man, I think the only way that Boston is as simpatico as they are right now is the impact of guys like Marcus Smart. I mean, he's the guy that, you know, no bullshit, you know, not to say put the team on my back, but, you know, let's go, let's go to war kind of thing. And I think you definitely need that from not only one of your best players, but your biggest leader. And I think he is that for that Boston team. Uh, for me, though, I will say, I think the one person you missed is the person that I think has raised their stock the most is uh, Brandon Ingram. You know, first time mm. playoffs, averaging, you know, let's look here. Holy, 30 points. Well, granted, this is off of not including game five, but prior to that, he's averaging 30 points, you know, seven assist, or seven rebounds, five assists, nearly a steal and a block a game. And doing it off of crazy splits. I mean, 51% from the field, 50% from the three, and 88% from the line. Uh, I think a lot of people forget that this is Brandon Ingram's first time playing playoff basketball. You know, everybody wants to, you know, shower uh, Devin Booker with love for the running win on last year, which, you know, all all is definitely, you know, well-considered and well-warranted. But Brandon Ingram, man, he's a guy that's... He's definitely in the mold of a KD. There's no doubt about that. The way they play, you know, their ability to create off the off the dribble and, you know, move between people and shoot over people. There's no doubt about that. But I will say Brandon Xavier Ingram is a motherfucking dog. I mean, yeah. this is a dude that's supposedly supposed to be this team's second option, but he's playing like the first option. Granted, he obviously is right now, but... I think if anything, this just showcases how scary of a team New Orleans has the potential to be next year, if, especially if they're able to retain all their guys. You know, Jonas Valanciunas, I think, is a guy that's severely underrated and, in my opinion, is a top 10 center. Uh, CJ McCollum, we've seen him be able to step out from, you know, underneath the shadow of Damian Lillard and really prove to be a solid leader and a solid bucket getter, which he's always been. And I think he has one of the deepest bags in the league right now. Uh, even like their rookies, Herb Jones. I mean, we were talking, I will say, as stupid as uh, some of the takes our friends make, uh, we, we, we all agree that Herb Jones is low-key, like the next like next up for the defensive wings. I think he's definitely in the mold of, you know, the Macau Bridges of the world, but he has some sneaky athleticism. But bringing it back to Brandon Ingram, 30 points per game in like their first playoff run is something that's I feel like is unprecedented. Like the only people that are in that company are the elite of the elite. As amazing as Giannis is, he's not even in that company. You know, that's guys like Devin Booker. I don't even remember how much Kobe averaged in his first, but either way, just what Brandon Ingram has been able to do in a season where a lot of people probably writ them off had them written off in the first month. I mean, what was it? Like one in twelve in their first few games? Uh, the way Willie Green has been able to manage the ship and, you know, putting the ball in the hands of this young guy, Brandon Ingram. I mean, regardless of how this series goes, it's a 3-2 to the Pelicans, or for the Suns right now, but they're going back to New Orleans. Uh, I think it's very similar to how the Phoenix Suns were in the bubble. You know, regardless of uh, what happens... 
this is a team that's really created a new identity as I've created a new culture going forward and it's a culture that could potentially be one that's winning now regardless of if Zion Williamson is in that or not if they do end up trading them they're obviously going to get something crazy but just the potential that this team has and what they're looking like with you know a dude that averaged 27 points per game last year was a leader in points per game in the paint uh, the sky is really the limit for them, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact of how well Brandon Ingram was playing. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, respectfully to myself, I think the only reason I missed out on him is because of last was it last year's fantasy draft where I picked him up like when no one drafted him. I think I've been on high on him for a while, and I just think like the only reason why I think his stock has been high for a while, and I think. People recognizing it now um not to say you you just are recognizing it now but he yeah he's definitely elevating his game i've just been on him kind of knowing that he's he's about to be the next slim reaper of the league yeah he's he's um, been that dude for a while yeah he's been that dude and i think he's showing it definitely like he he definitely he won the most improved player award yeah i think he recently, won it the right? same year he he got uh his all-star selection yeah, so I, I definitely think, like, I, I've been high on him since season, and, uh, yeah, I think his stock is going all the way up. Like, it, it's it's Ingram to the moon. No. Fuck. No. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> hey, it's... it's all crypto. Hey, it's, uh, it's a bold take, but it's not as wild as uh, the fact that Steph Curry is a lucky player. Uh, anyways, uh, last question. <laughs> well, this might be the same thing for you, Christian, but uh, who is your playoff MVP, you would say? Now, obviously, we talk about these guys that have raised their stocks, but not necessarily who's raised their stock the most, but in regards to how all these series have played out so far, who would you say, if we were to call it today, has been the best player in these last like a couple of weeks. I got to pull up this guy's stats right now just to see where he's at. And I'm pretty bad at navigating stats. But to be honest, it's got to be Jason Tatum, man. Like, I, in terms of playoff MVP, like, I was having conversations today over dinner, but I just think he's, like, really, like, starting to flourish into, like, the next... And, and not necessarily the next, but like the next coming of like Kobe Bryant, you know, like he he is the is the uh, he is the predecessor. He is the apprentice, true apprentice. It's never been Devin Booker. It'll never be Devin Booker. It, it's Jason Tatum. I think it's because like, I mean, not even knowing his stats, but you mentioned that he was doing seven assists per game like um in that series against Brooklyn like that's that's like just leader stuff right there you know like I think to really step up your where you're obviously weak and where you're not obviously present like unwarranted and not noticeable amongst a lot of players in the league a lot of players in the league will kind of stick to their knee stat line like where they're comfortable and just generally raise and like live above that and the people that do are really the great players. Like, 
Giannis last, like, I mean, Giannis lives in like a stat line of his own. He's always putting up crazy numbers, but Giannis literally had like a 50 point game in the NBA finals. Like that is like, just like going to a level that he knows beyond himself, you know? Um, and I think that's really showing of Jason Tatum right now. I think he's like, just looking at all these teams that are in the playoffs right now. I think he is my player or MVP playoff MVP at least. I, I just don't see any like really raising the stakes as much as he is. But that's all guys because he's my favorite player. So uh next hey, that, that's all well warranted. For me, uh well I asked Ruben this at the end of uh kind of off the cuff last week and I forgot who he said, but I said Jordan Poole. But I think to just add to the fact that Jason Tatum, you know when we think of Kobe Bryant, obviously he's an amazing player. He's one of a kind. But he always talks about how much he padded his game off of, you know, Michael Jordan. How much a lot of the moves he had and a lot of, like, the ways he approached the game was because of not info he was able to get from Michael Jordan, but from all these other players. I think it's a lot of the thing where a lot of people say there's no innovation in basketball. And I agree with that to an extent. But I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that there are these players who have figured out the game on such a cerebral and such a masterful level that I don't think it gets any better than that. Kobe Bryant, I think, is an example of that. And I 100% agree. Jason Tatum is starting to become an example of that. Yeah. I mean, he's a dude who's guaranteed 20 plus a night. He averaged basically 30 for this first round. But yeah, the biggest thing that jumps out is seven assists. That's something that's unprecedented for him. And considering that that was a lot of the flack he was getting in the early like goings of the year, that's insane. Not only that, I mean, 42% from the from the three. Like, Jason Tatum is that dude. He's a bigger Kobe Bryant. He's, in my opinion... He's that dude. Yeah, he's just that dude. I think not only that, but he's definitely... He's definitely someone who's raised his stock even more than it already is. And in my opinion, we'll definitely do this later on once the next season starts, which is so far away. I don't even want to really think about it. But when we do rank like our top players like by positions and then by like overalls, I think Jason Tatum is like top five at this the best point. Best forward in the league. Yeah. For sure. It's best fault. No, yeah, honestly. Off the top of my head, yeah, yeah he's definitely okay, like, well, in the conversation. Uh, yeah, depends on like where you're positioning players because he, he technically can be a power forward too. I think the way they're playing him, he te- technically is a small forward. This, this season, blocked, if you go top. by basketball reference, it's, it's small forward. So, yeah, and right he's now, the best small forward in the league. <laughs> sure. Okay, what is what is KD? What is KD at? He's power forward for sure. He's got to be. Oh, probably now, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. No, guaranteed best power, best small forward right now. Yeah, it, it's gotta be, gotta be Jokic, Giannis, KD. Who's the best two in the league right now? Would you, uh, would you say Devin Booker? <laughs> oh well, then, I guess Devin Booker maybe. And then Curry, obviously. No, actually, John Moran was probably up there. To be honest. You taking John Moran uh, over no. Curry? 
Maybe next year. Maybe next year. All right. I think that all depends on how this uh, not, playoff run goes. <laughs> not, not, not this year. Not this year. But uh, that's not even the conversation we're having. Yeah. yeah. Jason Tatum Jason is the best Tatum player in the league. <laughs> I mean, that's not so far off of what this podcast has said before. Ruben said he'd be MVP. Which I think I if think he's he playing like sure this, he definitely has one in him. Not Actually, not one. He has a few in him. I hope he wins, I will say. Definitely going to be in the scoring title next year. Or in the scoring race. Uh, all right, DJ. Here's, here's my additional question for you. Okay. Who do you think you would take, do you take on, to start your team? Luca or Tatum? <sighs> Fuck. Ah. Uh... I'm going to take Luka Doncic. That's fair. I just think that while Tatum definitely has more athleticism, I think when it comes to really locking down the most important role on my team, which in my opinion is the point guard, Luka has the ability to play one through four in in a sense. Primarily one through three, but the ability he has as a shot creator, not only for himself, but for his teammates, his ability to stretch the floor at unreasonable lengths, his ability to really just be a maestro. Like, I don't think it's far off to say that Luka Doncic is a Magic Johnson with a crazy jumper. The passes that he makes, the way he reads the game, you can tell he's been playing professional basketball since he was, what, like 15? Like, if you've never seen, Luca was in 2K before he was drafted. It was when 2K still had the EuroLeague teams, and this motherfucker was like a 47 overall. And now he's completely flipped that. Well, obviously more, but no, I think when it comes to really setting a baseline and a foundation of my team, I think that Luca raises your floor as a whole. But when it comes to individuals, I think Jason Tatum is more valuable in that sense. Not that he can't be a facilitator, but just Jason Tatum's, like, the first thing you think about him is the fact that he's a bucket. Granted, Lucas in that same category, but, like, when you think about the other things they can do, I think Luca just has a deeper bag in that sense. But it's also, like, would you rather have uh, ice cream or, like... You know, another crazy good dessert. You can't go wrong there. Who are you taking? Are you taking Tatum? Yeah, you already got no. No, I have to take Tatum. Like, it's it's definitely a bias, but I think it's just matter of him being like player who we haven't really seen the ceiling of, and just I don't know what it is with him. Like, he's definitely just like. I think the most special player in the NBA right now. Um, obviously, there's no statistic for that, but I just, he is gone to show that he's like, can continue to elevate. He can like shine in big moments. He's already hit like a ton of clutch shots in his career, dunked on LeBron in his rookie year. Like, I just don't think there's really, really a tag you can put on Tatum just yet, you know? Like, realistically, there hasn't really been, like, much of a team built around him. 
and he's already second in the East. Like you could say for sure, Jalen Brown is like his second star by all means. He is. He's an all player. Um, but that also goes without saying that Jalen Brown was just he was drafted by the Celtics too. You know, like that team is just as homegrown as any other team. Uh, and they're second in the East, and a lot of that like is really to Tatum. And I think it's because he's a true leader. He can shine in big moments and he can get you a bucket. Yeah. He's I like, I think all those things really encapsulate what Kobe Bryant was. And not to say he is Kobe Bryant by any, by any means, but he, he is, he is the second coming. He's, he's definitely, he's definitely, he has more mama in him that Devin Booker ever could. You know, Devin Booker is a great player, don't get me wrong, but I lost all affinity for him potentially being the heir apparent when he when he got pissy about a mascot. Yeah, but that that's my take, last take for the night. I respect I, I that. Think. That's a solid take. It's There's no real wrong answer there. No, for sure. Only time will tell. Definitely. All right, but with that, that has been another episode of the Blacktop Podcast. We are officially at the double digits. That's only going to go up. Hopefully, y'all are still with us when we hit the triples, the quadruples, all that stuff. But regardless, hope you guys enjoy these next few, is it, would it be months? Yeah, I guess a month or two of playoff basketball. It's going to be the greatest part of the season. It's going to be some of the greatest basketball you'll ever witness. And yeah. Truly just hope y'all enjoy basketball. You know, it's cool to have a team and all, but I think once you kind of peel back that lens of just strictly being a fan of a team, man, basketball is such a beautiful game. But Christian, you got anything to end us off with? Not really. I think just, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, enjoy basketball for what it is. Don't get caught up in the hype. Don't get caught up in the stats. Stats are never going to be everything. That's it. Yeah. With that, Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Stay blessed. Stay safe. We'll see you all soon. Peace.